HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by Total Food Service. Total Food Service delivers the restaurant and food service industry's most comprehensive package of news and information. Offered in print and digitally on TotalFood.com, you'll receive the latest on the new normal. This week on Meet and 3, we look at the ways indoor and outdoor spaces are being reconceptualized during the pandemic to better suit new modes of living, working, and eating. It's brought a vibrancy and an energy back to the city streets that were so dearly missed during the height of the pandemic. This is about how we can grow indoors all year round. Uh, using proprietary technology that we've developed. How do I have someone understand, look, don't take a next to the June berries because you can eat those. That's free food. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Over the past 20 years, we have seen every type of pop-up imaginable from superstar chefs like Rene Redzepi, temporarily relocating Noma to Tulum, Mexico, to friends from different coasts hosting each other at their restaurants for one day of fun. Pop-ups can be a great way to collaborate, gain new audiences, or provide a platform to test out a new concept. With spaces closing, adapting, or sadly, just plain empty, and many chefs on the move, never has there been a better time to collaborate. And we have indeed seen a ton of really great pop-ups, but how do the economics of a pop-up work out? And how can you translate a successful pop-up to a permanent business? So if you feel like you've seen our guest today everywhere lately, that's probably because you have. And we're so excited about that and excited to welcome her to the show. It's our friend, chef and baker, and just all around wonderful human being, Lonnie Halliday. Welcome, mm-hmm. Lonnie. Welcome. Hi. That's a um, lovely intro. Thank you. Well, I'm not quite done. So Lonnie <laughs> has been building her brand for years, and I mean years. Um, but in the last couple of months alone, she has been the chef in resident at Mason Yaki and popped up at Dame and NYC. You may have even caught her on munchies last week. Um, but all along this time, she's working on something of her own. So we'll get into all of that and more. Um, so pumped to have you here. You're so busy these days. Yeah. And Thank I mean, you it's so on me. Yeah. Any time. It's been like I've been wanting to get you on the show forever. Um, <laughs> But it's so like it's really it's like it, it's inspiring to see you and people and the community really like 
make lemonade out of the lemons that has been this time. And um, I feel like you've had so many irons in the fire. And so tell us what you've been working on and, um, and about, about all the things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you've got it, you know, um, I think irons, many irons in the fire is definitely the way I would describe it. I've also been describing it as like drinking out of a fire hose a little bit. Um, <laughs> it's, it's intense. Um, yeah, you know, honestly, it's, it's I, I don't make a secret that I'm like a sober person, I'm like a sober addict. And um, I, I definitely think it's like my, that sort of predilection uh, coming through for sure. I you know, it's been such an uncertain time. And I think that my response really has been to sort of just like, try to do as many things. And I just I love people. I love people. I love collaborating. I love this industry. I love like seeing what other people are doing and being in different spaces. And one of the things that I got really, really excited about um, in the beginning of all this was I was like, oh, it's kind of like this almost like wonderland and, you know, not to just like completely get Pollyanna-ish about the, the situation, but I was like, it's one of the upsides is like everyone's kind of open to new ideas right now and like trying and experimenting and seeing what works and what doesn't work is really, um, I feel like people are, are really, really, really open to that right now. And, you know, as you're saying, like pop-ups, which, you know, people do, but people are so open to them right now, like a pop-up, a collaboration, a this, a that, and, and just getting really creative about what all of that looks like. Um, but yeah, I've just, I've just been trying um, as many things as I can, um, taking as many opportunities as I can to try to, you know, yeah, build the brand visibility. Um, it, it definitely has been a little bit of a process of like figuring out what lane I'm in, in terms of like where I'm going to go next by just doing so many things and seeing what makes sense and, you know, listening to what people want and need and how people are responding to things. And, and kind of, it's like, what do they say? Like building the ship as you're sailing. Um, it's a little bit like that. Um, a lot like that, actually. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I feel like that's, did I answer the question? Did that? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think there's, go ahead, Al. No, I, I think you got it. You, and you were doing you were doing a lot of these sort of pop up experiences even before the pandemic, right? Yeah, I mean, I I was literally in the middle of like a super awesome successful pop up with um, a really good friend of mine, another super talented chef, uh, Woldy Reyes, who owns a company called Woldy Cuisina. He and I were in the middle of a pop up at the Maid Hotel um, in the Nomad neighborhood in the city. In Manhattan. And I mean, it was sold out. We were adding more dates. It was a super beautiful experience. We were getting really beautiful write-ups. But that dinner, it was a Kamayan dinner. It was a plant-based Kamayan dinner series. It literally was sitting at a, train, a table with, you know, 25 strangers eating a Kamayan dinner with your hands off banana leaves. And it really just like was something that was like so inappropriate. Like it was at the beginning of, you know, when things were starting to shut down and we were like, uh, this is very inappropriate. Like, it's like the, it's like the anti-COVID yeah. times. Yeah, yeah. It was very like the antithesis of COVID dining. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Antithesis. Yeah. Unless you were like eating each other's food. Like, <laughs> Beating each like, other with your yeah, fingers. Like, you, I mean, people were too. I mean, you yeah. really get more antithesis of like COVID recommend. Like, How wild. For COVID dining. So yeah, um, we pulled it and, you know, we 
you know, people were super understanding and it was really the right thing to do. And we were gutted. We had, you know, great partners over there, Chef Tyler Heckman and Charles Syke, who is the uh, food and beverage partner for the main hotel. And um, yeah, I mean, we just, we were doing that. Um, Waldy and I were collaborating on that together. And yeah, I mean, I, a lot of what I was doing before was sort of like, I built my business very much like word of mouth, like doing wedding cakes and um, things like that for people. And I mean, I did a cake recently for, I did a cake recently for Gail Simmons, actually, for a good friend of hers. And I was a, as a gift. And I was like, damn, I haven't even made a cake in like forever. And this really was like what I would do, you know, like I would, you know, I had a Waldy and I used to have a catering company together and I would make pastry uh, and baked goods for the catering company. And I would also do cakes and things like that. So um, it definitely has been all about just sort of, you know, staying creative and, um, you know, really just working what works, you know. I, I mean, I think that's the thing. I think that's what's so interesting about like the pop-ups that are happening now too, because what worked you know, like you were just saying, the Kamayan dinner was at Alex and I went. It was a phenomenal experience. It was like part theater, part dining. It was just awesome. But that yeah, would just perfect. never work right now. And there's no way to put that as like to go. So, but it's, it, but it, so it's interesting because it's like diners are clearly responding really well to pop ups and collaborations right now. Like you guys, the one that you guys did at Dame a few weeks ago was totally sold out pretty quickly. And you, so you know, it's, what are you learning from the pop-ups that you're doing now versus like what you did six months ago? Um, I think that like keeping it, the things that we've learned are like, you know, really kind of planning, planning ahead, keeping it tight, really like engineering the, the menu and what the offering is to, to really be able to sort of like the situation like can you pick it up can you take it away like really thinking through that kind of logistical side of it um and also just like you know offering people an experience that you know people are really missing human connection they're new yorkers are such like diners outers right like you go out to see and be seen and to socialize and you know restaurants really are are like collective dining room and it's a very integrated part of socializing in in a way that it isn't in in so many other cities and i mean as corny as it sounds like things that are really beautiful to photograph for social media are you know are really great to kind of put together because you're giving people like this excitement that starts before you know if they're going to come to the pop-up and it's running for a couple of weeks and you're making something and somebody sees a picture like that's kind of the start of the experience and they get to kind of like be excited and um you know like think about you know they're going to plan their little trip over to this thing and then they're going to get the you know whatever it is the the pop tart or they're going to get the whatever and then they're going to have fun they're going to meet their friends they're going to like try to do their best to be responsible they're going to take it away because that's how i'm going to package it up and you know just really thinking through what i would be needing and wanting as a guest and trying to really be respectful of like people's fear levels and what the guidelines are and kind of putting all those pieces together to make things that really work for all those parts is really kind of key um, to have it be stuff. And obviously things that are super delicious and things that are, things that are at a price point that work for people that might be a little bit lower than they were in the past, just because a lot of people are sort of like out of work or, or, you know, watching their pennies a little bit more, but they still want to go out and they want to have like, 
you know, a, a, a chicken sandwich or whatever it is, you know, they want to eat out, but they are kind of being mindful of what their spending is. So I think all those factors are, are factors for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You're a second person this week that we've talked to that is like, has talked a little bit about like the cost and people like the cost, you know, it's hard because like restaurants are having such a hard time and chefs are having such a hard time because of all the, you know, implications of the pandemic. But like at the same time, diners are being more cost conscious. So it's like, it's such this struggle. Um, Yeah. I mean, even, even things little like, you know, when you're doing like the takeaway where it's like, you know, being really mindful of like, what is the disposable wares that you're sending out? Like the boxes, the cutlery, all that stuff, you know, it's like, how like making sure you're prioritizing what's important to you as a company or a brand where you're like, okay, I'm not going to use plastic or whether it's like my bottom line is the most important thing. I'm using these plastic things, you know, like really balancing those things in a way that for a lot of people, like we're never even a consideration, Um, you know, those, even those little things. And like, what does my guest want and need? Like, are they going to be, are they going to be, you know, affronted if, you know, they get a, a plastic fork or what have you, you know, it's like all those factors are a factor. I know. It's like, I don't even want to think about the environmental implications this pandemic's having. It's it's like the disposable masks and all the disposable flatware everywhere. It's like killing me. Um, Take us sort of to like back to the, tell us a little bit about the motivation for doing the pop-ups. Is it, do you look at it as, you know, each one's its own experience or are they, building blocks towards something else like a permanent home or how do you look at it? And then also talk a little bit about, you know, the finances that, uh, you know, that that has implications for, Of you know, are you raising money by doing pop-ups to get to that long-term goal or is each one its own um, income for you as it is? Yeah. I mean, that's a really, that's a great question. I mean, when I, uh, so for me, I was, you know, renting some shared space and producing that way. And uh, for me, the goal has always been to kind of just get into my own personal, like 100% gluten-free production space, because that's my lane, right? Like everything I do is gluten-free because I happen to be gluten-free and that's what my focus is. And um, so the goal is that. And, you know, I was sort of just like renting some space from another person and, and doing my things there. And, you know, the the pop up thing really kind of came. So we lost the space was lost, like in the in the midst of COVID. And like I was kind of like without a kitchen space and the pop ups were really this kind of thing where it's like, well, I don't really have a space to work out of if I don't have a space to work out of. And the first <laughs> big one that came up as an opportunity was the one through Greg Backstrom at Mezanyaki. And, you know, it was funny, like I, um, the, I somebody sent me like his Instagram post about it. And I immediately responded to him. I was like, Oh, sweet. I'm going to do that. Like that's in my neighborhood and or ish. And I was like, I'm going to do that. That'll be great. Um, and then the, the person who coordinates this woman, Madison, she's brilliant. She coordinates all of my like uh, partnerships and everything. And like, kind of does a lot of like administrative management. She's brilliant strategy and all that kind of stuff. And she was like, "Mm, don't do that. Like, that's going to be a lot of work. And like, are you going to make money? And like her, like her world is totally separate. And like, I'm the total, like I miss working in like restaurant kitchens because I'm like a mom and it doesn't fit my schedule. And like, So I kind of have had to pivot and I was like kind of excited about this idea of like working in a restaurant kitchen situation. 
And I, I, she was like, don't do that. You're not going to make any money. And it'll be like a ton of work for two weeks straight and it'll kill you and you're not going to make any money. And I was like, eh. and I kind of put it down. And then at the last minute, I was like, no, I'm doing this. And she was like, okay, no problem. <laughs> and she's like, don't call me crying. You're like, mm, sorry. Yeah, I mean, she's like, I'm the boss, but like, she's there to help me. And she advises me and she's brilliant. And like her advice usually is like the great advice. But my gut was like, no, no, do this. And, um, I, I would say like, for me, anything like that, I walk into it with the idea of obviously making money is going to be the idea and the goal. And like, I do all my projections with that as the ideal. But if I only break even, that to me is fine in the sense, like if everybody gets paid, including me, and I walk away at like net zero, that to me is worth it because I've just been able to serve that many more people. Like there was a ton of press and connections that came out of that Maison Yaki pop-up. Like, I don't think that there's nothing like wasted, like no effort is wasted. And I think it all kind of ties in together. And when you're talking about like, you know, just like getting your brand or getting your product or getting what it is that you're doing or who you are in the minds of you know, guests of people, of neighbors, of folks who are there with their pocketbooks to support. Um, and um, if you're talking about that, like that's kind of the most important thing is like kind of, it's almost like building this relationship and, you know, letting people know who you are and let them see what you're doing and what you have to offer. And you do have to do that over and over, especially for me, somebody who doesn't have like a client facing retail location at this time you know that's it's in the plans but i don't have that so if i'm not out there doing things then people don't really know who i am or what i'm doing so because of that if i break even at the end of the day like i've always thought that things like you know a farmer's market things like that are like worth having you know it, it just break even um I did make money on that pop-up, but it wasn't like, I was the first one. So <laughs> it wasn't like I was the one that made the most money. I think people had to like get with it and, you know, weather was a factor and all of these things. And I think also what I offer is like a little bit more niche. The person who went um, after me. Yeah. I mean, for me, and maybe like, maybe I need to reconsider my like stance on that. Um, but I just think that like, I don't, I always feel like I'm like new to the game, even though I'm like not. Uh, but, <laughs> we all feel know, like that. I'm like perpetually you know, I'm a startup. Like, I always yeah, feel, I like, feel that like that too. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's good to know. Um, but so, you know, the idea is, um, the idea is for me, um, I do. So now I'm in a space I'm, I'm, it's so funny, like, and it's crazy how you have to just like get creative in this time. So uh, as you may or may not, you guys know, but your guests listening may or may not know. Um, I'm in a space now with Eric C, who is this ultra talented guy. He's a pastry chef and um, he's from New Mexico. He had a place before called the Awkward Stone. That place closed. Uh, that was who I was renting space from. And he's opened a new spot on Sterling Place in Crown Heights, uh, the corner of Sterling and Bedford, 724 Sterling. It's called Ursula. And I'm basically like, you know, artist in residence, essentially, right? So it's like I produce pastries for the case every day that they're open. You can buy, you know, Brutus Bake Shop stuff that, you know, I make here. 
And um, I do have stuff for sale online as well. Cookies just at this point, but I'm going to be expanding that because the next step is that I'm going to be moving into, I'm looking right now, I'm in a little lease negotiation for my own sort of gluten-free production kitchen. And then that way I can sort of really expand all my online stuff. For me, I really see people ordering online more. Um, and then I also am really loving part of my plan for that production space going forward is also this format of, I see people doing these like drops where you pre-order. It's like a once a week pre-order limited amount of like whatever it is. And then people can come and collect them and it's like timed, you know, it's paced. So you have like partners and then it's, it's very COVID friendly. It's all very much like, you know, you're kind of opting into the, the experience of, you know, like eating out or getting food. And, but it's sort of really, you know, there's a visual part of it with through all the marketing and the social media. And then you get your beautiful things at, you know, a partner location but it's also very like COVID friendly because not everybody's going at the same time. And you're sort of, you know, collecting this like thing that was made just for you. And um, so that's kind of the plan going forward. That's a um, lot. So let's unpack that a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I started, it was like monologue city. Um, no, I love it. I mean, it's like, there's a lot going on and it sounds like it's on. like constantly evolving, which I think is also a testament to like, you know, what you said is like people are just being creative right now and, and rethinking what a traditional business model was or is for, for the future. So, so tell us a little bit. So the, so at Ursula, which if um, we shouted out on last week's episode too, but it just opened in crown Heights. Alex and I haven't gotten there yet, but it's like, it, it's going to happen this weekend because the food Yo. looks dynamite, it's Mexican wild. deliciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got, so you, are you renting? So basically right now you're renting space temporarily from, from Eric. Yes. Or is that, okay, cool. And is yeah, he going to, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Okay. And is he going to like, tur- so will he'll, you know, once you decide to go do something else here, or once you start to focus on um, the next iteration of, of your, of the bake shop and the, the drops, then he'll mm-hmm. turn it over to somebody else. Is that going to be like part of his consistent business plan or? You know- I don't know. That's his vibe. Like he's, he's such a love. He's like one of my very best friends. It's like the trifecta is really like myself, Eric C and Woldy Reyes. Like we're all kind of like inseparable. We all met at um, the now defunct pilot works. We were all part of the, the, the crash landing to earth of pilot works where it closed super suddenly. And um, we were all part of that. But um, you know, I, I don't know what he's going to do per se. The space isn't massive. Um, I could see him doing that for another like close friend, but I don't, I I just don't actually know. I mean, he and I are semi inseparable. And so that it made a lot of sense when he was coming here and I was, I was renting space from him in the other spot. And he was like, well, let's just go together. You know, Woldy ended up moving upstate, which he's killing at the moment. And so it was basically just he and I, and you know, we're here and it's, it's working and I'll still retail out of here. So even when I'm sort of producing offsite, um, it'll just be an effort to really like grow and like kind of spread out a little more. Uh, this place, like I said, it isn't massive. It's not necessarily conducive to like growth per se in that way for, for both of us. So 
I'll, I'll produce offsite and then I'll just continue. You'll still be able to come to 724 Sterling Place in perpetuity and still get, you know, the Kanish ish, the guava Pop Tart and the miso chocolate cookie and whatever else kind of rotates in and out. You'll still be able to get all those things. I'll just not be producing them here. Got it. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. And then, and because his kitchen right now is not a gluten, is not 100% gluten free. Correct. And that's right. always been that's always been a thing for me where it's like, I, you know, I, I'm very clear with my clients and my guests and uh, I let them know, you know, like it's shared facility, shared facility, shared facility, everything's right, like right. very labeled and all that. But it's very much like it's because I have worked with people who have, you know, gluten sensitivities and, and allergies and celiac, like I understand the needs of that population and to be able to serve that population for me, it's always been a goal to just have a 100% gluten-free space because that's just what makes sense for my market demographic, et cetera, so. So how challenging is that? So that basically requires you to get your own kitchen and then it would retail also be part of that. So you said, you mentioned you're in lease negotiations, which I'm dying to hear about how that's going. If you don't mind discussing <laughs> no, during this I, time. I'm happy to discuss. Um, <laughs> it's, it's always the most fun. Of, it's, it's going kind of crazy. I mean, the thing about it is, is um, I have a buddy who he's a broker. He's a, he's in commercial real estate. And I actually was just talking to him yesterday. He's not my broker for this, but he's a buddy. And we were just talking about it. Um, and he was like, it's so crazy right now. He's like, there's nothing. He's like, people aren't asking for key money, but landlords are, which has never been a thing before because there were so many people who, you know, were in arrears and had to go and weren't able to sort of like meet their obligations because of the virus and because of having to shut down and having being in this like very unfortunate position that, you know, those people more than likely like were not themselves happy to have to leave in, you know, as far as their integrity goes, like I'm sure people were devastated to have to leave in that position. Nobody wants to like, you know, dip out on their responsibilities. Certainly not somebody who was taking the responsibility of opening a restaurant in my estimation at any rate. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of the place that I'm going to open is not retail. It's not a retail space. I'm very clear. I'm so I'm like a divorced mom of two kids who are not old enough to be on their own full time, like just to have me dip out and work. So I'm very, very clear that I don't want to run a retail space at this point in my life. I'm very, very clear that I don't want to have to be at a place at 6 a.m. every single day, regardless of my circumstances. Uh, I, I've never, I've wanted that for sure. And that is definitely in my plans for the future, but that's just not a thing that I would like in my life at the moment. So for me, having a, a commercial kitchen that isn't necessarily client facing is exactly my lane. And it, because I have a retail location inside of Ursula. So I have a whole shelf in his pastry case. Like I can continue to retail out of here and that that's what makes sense. Like it's a very creative model. I don't know very many. I mean, it's kind of like wholesaling, but kind of not. And you're basically securing shelf space at like a dedicated, totally. at like another dedicated outlet. Yeah, yeah. It is, it's interesting. And and it you know that's what works for me in terms of like you know my you know responsibilities with my family. That's what works for me with you know just all the other things that. I feel like are necessary for building the brand. Like you were mentioning the munchies thing. It's like, if I'm running a cafe and I'm like the boss lady who has to be there 24 seven, I mean, that's just not going to work out. Like I'm not going to be able to 
you know, do X, Y, Z and, you know, manage a home and manage this and manage that. Like I just, I would personally, like, I'm sure there are people who do that and are very good and successful at it, but I would feel like I would just be spread too thin. This episode is presented by Total Food Service. Total Food Service delivers the restaurant and food service industry's most comprehensive package of news and information. From day one of the COVID-19 crisis to today, the focus of Total Food Service has been to listen to the needs of their restaurant and food service readers. They were stunned by the endless stream of heartwarming stories. Restaurants everywhere were stepping up to feed hospitality workers and first responders while nimbly converting to takeout and delivery options. Total food service coverage has now moved to the planning forward stage. Offered in print and digitally at totalfood.com, you'll receive the latest on the new normal. Need answers and solutions? Find them at totalfood.com. Eric sees it. How does he see it as like a benefit to him? Like how can other people go about like to try to reformulate this or like replicate it maybe in like another city? You know, sure. like what do like what do you use to like sell him on giving you that space kind of thing? I Not mean, giving you the space, but you know, he gets a big, so that's always nice. Money always talks. People love money. I love money personally. Um, so you know, he gets a cut. It's not as if he's just like doing it out of the kindness of his heart, but it's sort of out of the kindness of his heart. I mean, truly, like we are very close friends. We've worked and collaborated together so much over the years, um, and I think that like. I think that that's just kind of where the community piece comes in. Um, you know, I see it over with like Brooks Headley and Natasha Pickowitz, where she does the never ending taste over at Superiority Burger. Like she's not there permanently, but obviously like her taking over that space makes sense to them. I'm sure because in part because they're friends and, you know, it really is about like supporting your community and like doing what it is that you can to really ensure you know, that whole sort of analogy of like all boats rise with the tide. It's like, okay, well, you know, I think if the, uh, I think if, you know, the people that I keep close to me reciprocally, like if I've got something that I can put them on, like you better believe I'm going to put them on it. And, and I think that like, I just keep those people close to me too. And I think that like this place came up, he had a sweetheart deal. Like it's nothing for him to say like, yeah, cool. Like, let's do this. There is money involved. It's not like he's, like I said, doing it out of the goodness of his heart, but as, as there should be, you know, as should be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's his space and it incentivizes everyone to like make it successful. And, you know, it's like money is energy and, you know, you got to keep that energy flowing and uh, it, you know, so I, I think that that's part of it. Like he also, you know, we adore each other. And also, you know, I think it's just like a cross, a cross sort of pollination too. Like, I think that the people that are into my stuff would be into his stuff if they can be and vice versa, you know? So I don't, I don't think that it, it's almost like a collab in a sense, you know, like, and I don't, it, it doesn't, it's weird cause it's all pastry, but it doesn't feel like a competition or, or, Maybe that's just my orientation and his, but I don't, it doesn't feel competitive per se. It just kind of is what it is. And I think sometimes like when you have things packaged together, it changes people's perception of like what competition is and like it makes people more willing to try other things because of proximity. So that totally makes sense to me too. 
I just, I don't think we carry around competition with each other at the core of our beings. So I don't think that like, it's going to come up if that makes sense. Like it's a little yeah. woo woo, you know me, I get like a little woo woo. <laughs> I, I, I just genuinely don't. I don't, I don't think that the, between the three of us, like I was saying, we're, we're really a trifecta. Like, I don't think we have a competitive shtick in our clique. Like I really do, we really do put each other on to stuff. Like if I can't do an event, I'm putting it to them first and I'm putting them forward for it first. And the three and, you know, and, and vice versa. And the three of us have worked that way very much for a long time together. Um, you know, we're always just sort of like in it with each other for those kinds of things. Um, even so much as like, if I'm going, you know, to the wholesalers, it's always just like, what do you need at the wholesalers kind of a thing. So I just think it's, I think that really, you know, pouring into your relationships, building community, um, we've invested a lot in each other relationship wise over the, you know, four or so years that we've known each other. So it just, it's a very natural progression, I think so. I mean, there's never been a more important time to build community. So I think if that's one <laughs> thing that comes out of this pandemic, I think that's, you know, makes perfect sense. Um, for the, so, and just for other listeners who are looking during this time for commercial spaces and leases, I'm curious, like, have you seen more stuff on the market? Are you finding... Our landlord, so it sounds like they're asking for key money because people left the space empty and they're trying to recoup some of that. Is that what you're seeing, or you know, and just to you... chime in for yeah, just to chime in for our audience, key money is generally a sum of money for all of the things that have been left behind in the restaurant, right? Like the vents yes. and the ovens and the ranges and all of those things that are sitting in the space that technically the landlord never purchased. But like to to Lonnie's point of why the landlords are now asking for money is that I guess that's the only thing that they have to be able to sort of recoup some of their investment from a deposit that might be gone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, key money, like as you're describing, it's typically something that say if I were a restaurateur that my business failed and I needed to like get out of the space and I wanted to, you know, sell the lease because you're selling, you can sell a lease or, or, you can sort of like transfer a lease, right? And um, the, the key money does typically come from the restaurateur as an effort to recoup whatever investment was made in that space. Whether like you say, it's equipment or, you know, like the, the build out or what have you. Um, and a lot of people, like you said, are not, not asking for it because they just need to go and the landlords are sort of, and that's like a new thing. You know, Camilla Marcus uh, of Westbourne, I was speaking to her the other week and she actually enlightened me as to, in something that I wasn't aware of, which was a lot of people I know who are, are asking for um, a reduction in rent and, or, you know, like looking at a space and the price seems very high for, you know, what is actually happening in the world right now and asking these landlords to really reduce the rent or come down in a way that seems like it might be sustainable or it seems like it would make sense. Like if you've got a place just sitting fallow, doesn't it make sense to take a reduced sort of rental rate rather than let it sit fallow? And she was sort of explaining to me that they are, because I just thought it was like selfish landlords who could afford to just let's uh, it's the banks they stand but she was telling me right and that yeah. was a thing that i didn't know she said that they they're in um breach of their mortgage agreement essentially with the right. banks and so that was something that i somehow did not know um and you know people will offer free time which is a different situation than a reduced actual rent 
Um, but, you know, it's I, to look around like inventory is super weird. It seems it's almost like, um, you know, when you kind of throw a ball in the air and it kind of reaches the apex and for like a split second, like it kind of stops. And then before it comes down, it's kind of like that apex moment a little bit with the with the market. It's like places are going empty, but people aren't really sure. We're getting into the second wave. We don't really know what's going to happen. This is this is as described to me by uh, my friend who's a commercial agent in Brooklyn. And he's like, this is what I'm seeing. It's like it's almost like not at a standstill, but there's not a lot you know, to use the analogy again, he's like, there's just not a lot of energy flowing. Like people are kind of like, it's like bated breath. And so, um, and you know, it's, I think it's different in different places. The place I'm looking at right now, which, you know, who knows if that's, I've been in so many contract negotiations, lease negotiations in my life. Like I, I'm always like reticent to even tell people that like, you know, something is happening. It's like, okay, it happens when it happens. It's like dating. It's like, oh, you went on one date. Great. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> nobody cares. Um, but it's, you know, the place that I'm looking at, it isn't a restaurant per se. It's like in a big commercial building that just happened. It's like a, a little space within this larger space. It just happens to be like perfectly kitted out to have a commercial kitchen inside of it. So for them, like they're not necessarily playing ball or the same game that like other empty restaurant spaces are playing because somebody could take that space over and turn it into like a photo studio. Like they don't care. It's not, it's not a restaurant to them. It's just a space to them. It to me would be a great opportunity because it just happens to have like a grease trap, three compartment sink. Like it has those things inside of it. So um, there's that, but you know, it's, I mean, I've talked to people about spaces, landlords who are really amenable and flexible and also creative. And then I've talked to people who are like, like the people that I'm talking to now, they're just like, they don't, they don't want to know. Like they're a huge corporation. They don't care about me and this tiny little, you know, 800 square foot production kitchen that I'm trying to put together. Like it's not, it's nothing to them in the sense of like, they're like, we're not doing all those weird little things that all your little friends over in the restaurant side are doing. Like we're not doing <laughs> Like you can just, you can, you know, like you can get with what we're offering or you can just like, get going like they don't care um so you know i think that that's that's part of the landscape i think that you know people are subletting i have a friend who you know she was a caterer she had to leave brooklyn because she was a caterer and there's no catering jobs she did a lot of weddings she also moved upstate and is like making it work up there and she had this beautiful kitchen that she is like i don't know what i'm gonna do and she was gonna like rental share it for a long time she was looking to split it 50 50 with someone and like not have key money um you know and and i think that people are just really open to sort of like what is gonna work for everyone but i mean also that's that's my community like i'm reaping the benefits of like very intentionally building a kind of community that has a certain kind of integrity and a certain kind of since and i think it's pretty common in the hospitality industry but i wouldn't say it's a given which is like you know everyone kind of looks out for everyone and like people are really open to making sure that like the arrangement works for everyone um and i think that that's just coming into high relief right now you know that energy that 
I have personally created within my circle, it's like, if I'm reaching out to people who are on that same wavelength, like, you know, there's, there's going to be that consideration there, if that makes sense. I don't even know if I answered your question. I feel like the no. world is just like, <laughs> you did. It was perfect. No, I mean, I think you like, there was a lot of really valuable information about what the landscape looks like. Cause it, it I think people are like, Oh, everything's are sitting empty and there's a lot of good deals to be had, but that's just, I mean, it's just not necessarily the case, but I always think that there's ways to be creative and collaborative. Um, and we talk about this a lot, like your community and your network is really, really everything and never as much so as when you're in a time like this. Um, and I think it's sure. inspiring to hear. For sure. For sure. I mean, I don't, I think that like, I think that, you know, one thing that I really appreciate is like people are so open about, you know, the, the challenges you know, I have found personally, you know, somebody who I really admire personally is um, Claire Sprouse of Hunky Dory over on Franklin. She has really just done everything in her power to pivot her business. She was very, very fortunate. The She's not on a corner, but there's an empty lot on the corner next to her. And she sort of like was able to get that space i think it was just empty it's just like an empty fenced in little lot next to her so she's got this like fabulous outdoor dining space and she really like every week she has pop-ups where she hosts other people a lot of chefs who've been displaced a lot of people who like don't know what they're going to do next uh her rev shares so that's another thing too is you know you're talking about pop-ups and people always ask me like well how do you do a pop-up or like what's the thing and it's like every pop-up is different and it'll be it's really interesting to see what people how they want to split it like what the rev share is because it's for me it's different every time um she offers like super excellent and equitable rev shares she which which for those listening who don't know what that is it's it's like how do we split the money basically it's like how how do we decide you know who gets a percentage of the income and how like obviously like sometimes beverage is separate than food so how are we splitting food? How are we splitting beverage? Is it everything? You know, it's like when we did the pop-up at Dame, like they did all the beverage and then we split the food and after the, they bought all the food, like they ordered everything. So it was like after the food costs were covered, like we just split, you know, whatever. And then we had a tip jar and we raised money for an organization called the Soapbox Presents. So it was like, that was one. And then at Maison Yaki, which was this very special project that Greg put together, it was like, you kept all the profits. Um, even all the beverage, he had a lot of sponsors. So it was like, you know, Maker's Mark was a sponsor. So I was selling like cocktails that I basically would pay for like the base, like some coconut milk and some coffee. And then, you know, selling these cocktails that the booze was paid for. And then, you know, like, so that was a really great moneymaker, but everyone's different because everyone's paying different things for different costs like everyone's covering different costs and then you know the the profit share will be different based on based on the place and that's you know those are i feel like most people are open to negotiations some people who host regularly will just have a set kind of like deal you know where it's like i do i get the the bar you get the food and i'll cover the costs after you know i'll order everything and make sure those costs are covered and then everything goes to you um, but it's different.